Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Alles was ich zu Weihnachten möchte bist du. I'm Nick Houghton of 40%German.com, and this week I'm joined by my co-host Simon, lint-like chocolate bunnies Maddox. <laughs> I swear these nicknames are getting weirder and weirder every week. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I mean, yeah, we're at episode 96, and so to come up with original relevant nicknames for myself is getting more and more challenging so now i'm just stealing them straight from headlines uh, and the stories we're going to talk about oh i think we maybe we just need to get back uh, maybe change the format maybe we uh, i don't know um oh, i've got no ideas <laughs> <laughs> i've been ruined by sleepless nights and small children getting out of bed and waking me up at four in the morning we got a new bed for well my daughter's first bed and we built it, uh, which was a, a whole thing in itself. Mm-hmm. And now she's free to roam the house. Uh, effectively, we've just given ourselves a horrendously loud alarm clock. It doesn't go <laughs> off at the time you set it for. It goes off three hours beforehand. doesn't help that my daughter doesn't know how to open doors and just simply boots them open like she's Russell Crowe <laughs> in Gladiator, you know. But yeah, horrendous. Tell me about your childless existence. <laughs> Tell me about it. What lovely things have you been doing? Well, I mean, this might help a little bit that one of my cats is currently going through a phase where she just screams in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, some nights she does, some nights she doesn't. But uh, yeah, it's a bit of a problem. But luckily for me, she stops as soon as she hears footsteps upstairs. So I just have to get up and go to the toilet and then she'll normally stop. So I guess that's the same, yeah? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. one thing I've learned is that p- parents of young children love it when you compare having animals to children. Um, so yeah, I, I feel you. I, I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you totally. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I don't really mind that much. I, I, at least I feel like there's someone who can, I can commiserate with. But I do think parents get very touchy about people with pets comparing pets and kids. And it's that whole thing about like, You've never been tired until you've been a parent. And it's like, I've worked at McDonald's. <laughs> I know what that was I like. Mean, I was tired. There's also, like, for me as, as a childless person that doesn't want children, like, a parent's be like, oh, I haven't slept. It's like, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of your fault. Like, I, <laughs> you asked for I it. I don't want to be a total dick, but like, yeah, you, you literally, this is what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nobody mm-hmm. should be surprised that, <laughs> that your two-year-old daughter is up early <laughs> and loud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel bad for you because because I care about you. But for people I don't care about, fuck them. <laughs> I mean, it's my fault. I built the bloody bed, you know? I mean, I knew what was happening as I was doing it. I was like, this is, I'm going to regret this, you know? This is not going to go well for me in the future i imagine like tying like an ankle like a like a surfboard to the bed is probably not legal yeah just cable tied to the bed i'm pretty sure there won't <laughs> won't be any child's protective services coming after me i just gotta live with it really i wouldn't mind if she just like was quiet about it but my kid's got no chill whatsoever <laughs> horrendous yeah, yeah two-year-olds are notorious for having zero chill yeah, it makes it very difficult to record podcasts too. And apparently I've been doing a lot of that recently. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, apologies, Simon, I've been two-timing you with other podcasts. And I, I didn't even <laughs> find out about it from you. I heard about it from our producer. I thought I told you. No, you didn't. Oh, well, I've been uh, I've been going behind your back and uh, recording uh, sexy audio for, other, <laughs> for uh-huh. other people. It was a spot on the new local podcast on the local.de 
uh, and it talked about Oktoberfest because apparently that's the only thing I can ever talk about. Well, you're, you're the Bavarian correspondent for the local these days. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was nice. They're, they're very nice over there. Treated me very well. Um, is that is that a dig? What <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, they had snacks. Um, <laughs> you can have snacks. You've got to fucking get them yourself. Your kitchen's below you. They didn't say that on the local. Um, no. <laughs> fuck off back to the local. I'm going to stay here in the big city. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say like they had that at the local. I was recording from the same place I'm speaking to you from. So mm-hmm. it's not like they put me up in a luxury hotel and then I was recording from a beautiful recording studio or something. But you gave them audio through the decades from home mic. That's, that's like, that <laughs> yeah. hurts even more. It was a bit more crackly than usual. I think it was displeased. It's yeah. it's being forced into a into a dual role of uh, recording. Our producer will back me up. That's the sound a microphone makes when it's crying. <laughs> He's nodding. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on. We've got to episode 96. We must be doing something right. So <laughs> it just means we're persistent. Eventually, <laughs> <laughs> this is going to pay off. I promise. I'm sure of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, but 96 is a pretty, it's a pretty good number. It's a fortuitous number, I would say. Uh, perhaps not for everything, but certainly for for the podcast. You had a, a 96 reference that I didn't quite. Yeah, get. I mean, when I think of 1996, I mean, it's just glorious summers, teenage. It was, it was a great year for football in many, many ways. Of course, it was Euro 96 that summer and England wearing the lovely battleship grey um, third oh, yeah. shirt. It was really nice. And David Seaman in goal had like this multicoloured but mainly red. It was like colours had been puked all over him. And it was vibrant <laughs> and it was, it was a wonderful kit. And the two best memories of that tournament were, of course, Paul Gascoigne who is a legend of both of our clubs, Newcastle and Spurs, Indeed. scoring what is maybe the best England goal of our lifetimes. Uh, I'm trying to think of one better. And David Beckham's free kick against Greece to take us through to the World Cup. That was pretty special. But I think in terms of football excellence, mm. Gazza's taking Colin Hendry out of the game and slotting at home, it was Maradona-esque. It was, it was mm. perfect. It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah beautiful moment so sorry for our scottish listeners to have to relive that moment um <laughs> but then of course we're a podcast about germany what happened at the end of your 96 nick uh germany won on penalties yeah germany won on penalties as they do so yeah that's sort of the the trauma <laughs> that, that connects our teenage years to football was euro 96 so it was the beauty and the ugliness uh, in one single tournament we did work out how to, the, the the way to beat Germany is to beat them 2-0 in 90 minutes. That's the way there to we beat go. Germany. Hot tip <laughs> don't let them, for the World Cup. Don't let them get anywhere near penalties. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I'd be a bit more confident. Actually, that's a lie. If if Germany and, and England played each other in the World Cup, we got the penalties, I wouldn't be able to look. I just I would not be able to handle that whatsoever. Oh, this gives me anxiety right now just thinking about it. Um that brings us to the football, though. It's been a, an interesting weekend in the Bundesliga. Do you want to do the Bundesliga update, Simon? I mean, yeah, Bundesliga update. Union Berlin, the top of the league. Like, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, they're there on their own, not sharing mm. first place with anyone. And, yeah, this is a team that I don't think anyone anticipated seeing there at this point in the mm. season. So, hoot up. Congratulations to, to Union Berlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the coming weekend has got some pretty key fixtures, so we'll see where it turns out from there. But yeah, I thought it was definitely worth giving a shout out 
to the biggest underdogs in the league in many ways to being top of the Bundesliga. Watching Bayern struggle is fun uh, <laughs> as well compared to that. So yeah, it's, it's good good times in the Bundesliga at the moment. Yeah, the thing about Union Berlin is that they're um, they like renew the team, haven't they? They lost their best player in the January transfer window and they mm-hmm. just keep keep finding these players, you know. It's the real antithesis of Bayern who yeah. buy big money players or they buy good talented young players from other teams and I think everyone would be happy just to have a, a season where Bayern don't win the league that'll make everybody a bit happier I mean it, it makes things interesting that's for sure and yeah it shows that like the ownership models uh, work that like fan involvement mm-hmm. works uh, yeah it's really encouraging so at the moment yeah we've got Union and first and then Freiburg and second mm. like Bayern third Dortmund and then yeah it's a pretty interesting looking league table so really happy about it and so, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what I'm not happy about is the fact that Augsburg consistently seem to be better since I went to see them lose 4 0. Yeah, so it's three wins of the last five. Yeah, for Augsburg. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I'm stuck watching Schalke lose three times in the last five. So, yeah. I mean, the last thing I guess we're going to say about the football this weekend was there's a great story about Kaiserslautern and their yeah. traveling away fans. Did you see the, the footage? I haven't, no. I only just saw it, the, the, your show notes. I'm waiting to I'll have, to have a look at it after we've recorded. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth a Google to anyone listening. Uh, so Kaiserslautern have returned to the second Bundesliga and to celebrate the success, they traveled 611 kilometers all the way to Hamburg, mm. uh, which is a bloody long way with 10,000 away fans. And there's footage of them in their little section. It's tiny. Mm. And they are having the party of their lives. It is scarves and flags going 100 miles an hour. And then they get the Bengalos out, the flares. And suddenly it looks like like the seven ring of hell with Dante's Inferno or something. It is just (laughs) smoke and red, intimidating. It's a great advertisement for the fan experience. Uh, and shows how connected to the team Kaiserslautern fans are. I mean, all second Bundesliga teams like have really, really strong fans. Um, it is, of course, one of the most amazing things about German football is how good the fan experience are. But yeah, really an impressive performance there from Kaiserslautern. It's all you, you really want, isn't it? That kind of experience to, to watch the football. You want the atmosphere. And generally, I find... German football has pretty good atmosphere. Maybe not the songs, but it certainly has the the atmosphere. I love not little teams. Not the Kaiserslautern's a particularly little team. It's it's got a lot of history. But those teams that have away support that's so fervent that they can cobble together ten thousand people <laughs> to <laughs> fill an entire away section. It's a real positive. We've also mentioned them before that Kaiserslautern is quite an appealing club because their logo is one yeah. FCK. Um, so if you're an English person, it looks like it says number one fuck. <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah, you always think of the, the most important points. That's, that's important. If you're picking a team, like, there's some good logos. We've talked about this before. Heidenheim's is strong. Mm. Um, Holstein Kiel have a beautiful logo. But yeah, as the FCK, like, poof. Take some beating, that one. I hadn't thought that that would be the most appealing aspect of, of Kaiserslautern, but now I'm thinking of getting one of their shirts. Yeah. <laughs> or at least getting their badge tattooed on my face. <laughs> I mean, all of that's great, but I do feel like the last four or five days have just been, there's just too much news. Mm. Like there's been so much news happening. There's been so much happening. And I do feel that we should also mention uh, the results of the uh, Landtagswahl in 
in Niedersachsen that took mm-hmm. place on Sunday, uh, where it was a pretty good night for the SPD. They came out as the largest party overall. Um, they were certainly cheering their success from the rafters, as you would expect. It was a pretty good evening for the Greens as well. Um, they were pretty happy with their result. Um, the CDU came out as second, but by all accounts, they lost more votes than they expected. So the, the results were SPD with 33.4% of the vote, which is actually minus 3.5. And given that they mm-hmm. they hold the, the chancellery and they're the largest party in Germany, it's not a bad result given the way things have been going and a lot of criticism that is, the government's received. CDU, who've been hoping to be the challengers and, and, and Fred, Friedrich Mertz, their leader, done a lot of big talk about how this was a time for Anita Saxon to uh, remind the coalition of who they were and what their problems were. They actually lost 5.5% of their vote. Yeah, like 200,000, nearly 300,000 votes from 2017, yeah. So they got 28.1%. The Greens did very well, plus 5.8%. They got 14.5%. Not great news was uh, the AfD reached double figures although again i will say this and i say it all the time i don't think we should take our eyes off of the afd they are a frankly disgusting horrible party full of disgusting horrible people but it is only 10.9 percent and they were talking about how we're now the people's party and it's like well if 10.9 percent makes you the people's party what does that make the other three parties that got significantly more than you did do they are they the more people's parties i guess so well i mean they nearly got four hundred thousand votes which is an alarming number when you think the spd got 1.2 million so they got like a third as many votes as the spd did um mm-hmm. like you never want to see the after you get more votes than they did in the previous round of elections mm-hmm. But yeah, the swell for the Greens is is an encouraging side alternative view, I guess. They're still one of the smaller parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll be the the four parties that got into the Landtagswahl. They'll be the smallest. And again, yes, it's not great, but I always feel like the amount of fear that is expressed online and in the media about the AfD only seems or serves to feed the AfD. I don't think it actually benefits anyone to go clutch our pills and go, oh God, the RFD. It's like, well, okay, have better policies, do better politics, do your jobs better, make it so that they don't have as much sort of ground. But the actual big story of the night was the FDP, who are part of the traffic light coalition along with the SPD and the Green Party. They failed to get into the Landtagswahl in Niedersachsen. They lost 2.8% of the vote, meaning they didn't reach the 5% threshold for entering the Landtagswahl. And uh, to say the FDP National Party has lost their shit would probably (laughs) be an understatement. They've started saber-rattling. I think, I, I can't remember exactly what Christian Lindner said. It was something along the lines of, like, this is the fault of the uh, coalition uh, and that they certainly feel that the Green Party and the SPD are getting all the plaudits while the FTP is left holding the baby and uh, not really getting all the, the credit they deserve. And so they're doubling down now and they're pushing for keeping the nuclear power stations open. There's this is discussion that's been ongoing um, about how we supply energy during the winter. The, the sort of decision was of the three nuclear power stations, two will be kept online and one be taken offline. And now they're pushing to keep all three online as their way of showing difference between them and their coalition partners. So it doesn't look great for the coalition. It's not a healthy moment. 
But it's funny. I think the outcome was was the FTP believing that they've been pushed left. And it's like, it does mm. seem like the left vote is quite strong. Like, maybe you want to think about that with your politics. Maybe you want to think about being a bit more progressive and a little less restrictive when it comes to um, certainly finance and, 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 and the economy. I mean, I, I kind of thought that we were going to have like a wave of like black and grayscale portraits of Lindner like he did in the past to try and boost <laughs> his numbers. Uh, I don't see that many, but obviously we don't live in Niedersachsen, so maybe we missed that uh, that particular swell uh, yeah. of, of grayscale portraits of the man. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, it seems that the CDU are the ones that have benefited the most uh, and taken a lot of votes away uh, from the FDP. So yeah, if he's gone too far to the left, and um, people are going, okay, yeah, I like the CDU instead of the FDP. Like, yeah, it's a problem with with his party more than anything. I get the feeling that. When certainly an election goes badly, and it's happened with Labour in 2019, when an election goes badly, it's a really bad look to go, it's everybody else's fault. Yeah. We need to, we are great, all our policies are great, but it's everyone else that's to blame. And, and if only you just understood us, you know, it just feels <laughs> a little bit like, it feels a little bit weak. Maybe they want to have a think about their uh, policies rather than um, blaming everybody for their downfall. But yeah. It does worry me slightly, but at the same time, I have a feeling that the FDPs and Christian Linders of the world must appreciate that now is probably not the time to collapse the government as we'll, uh, <laughs> as we'll move on to a little later on. Uh, it would be a bad choice. Yeah, it's been interesting that, I mean, not that long ago, Linda was saying, we're not going to do what they did in the UK. <laughs> They've literally got a perfect example <laughs> across the channel being like, okay, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, let's not burn down an entire house uh, right now. Let's not try out our political experiment today. But yeah, I think we'll have to keep an eye on it because there could be some trying times as we enter the, the winter period and the potential energy crisis that we're facing. We talked a little bit about the, the concerns that the national government and the traffic light coalition in Berlin are having about the winter. But there's obviously other concerns, Ukraine chief among them, and what's been happening in Ukraine, the escalation in rocket attacks and so on and so forth. Potentially connected to this was something that it sort of passed me by at the weekend. I try and avoid the news at the weekend. I just try to take my head out of it until my wife sort of pointed this out and said, did you see what happened in the north of Germany? And I was like, no. And it turns out in the north of Germany, there was a apparent sabotage attack on the rail lines in um, northern Germany, which shut down the, no the Deutsche Bahn in the north for several hours. Hmm. And it looks from all accounts to be quite a professional job, which is a bit of a concern for those who are watching and wondering how uh, Russia might retaliate. Now, no one's claimed any um, responsibility for this, but just going by the details that I read today, it does look like the people who did it knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, so the infrastructure in Germany when it comes to rail lines, as you might be surprised to, to find out, isn't that great. Only today I was listening to um, Deutschland Radio Funk and they were saying that a security expert had said a lot of the infrastructure and important infrastructure for the rail lines is in private hands not in public hands uh, and this is the case with this incident there's these communications cables that are laid along the rail tracks and they're um they're hidden they're not like obvious and they're sitting underneath these big concrete blocks and this concrete block had been removed and then the communications cable 
uh, for signals and, and general communications for the trains would been cut. Now, it wasn't like a little cable that you'd find that's been cut with a pair of pliers. Someone had to use an industrial angle grinder to cut through the cable. So these people seem to have known what they're doing. But it's concerning. Did you see this story when it was happening? Were you like me? Did, you, did it sort of pass you by? Yeah, a little bit. I saw it came up on Twitter. But then I yeah, said Northern Germany. And I was like, oh, I'm not on a train and I'm not in the north. So hopefully it'll resolve itself soon. But I say it wasn't just in one location where this happened. So there was one location outside Berlin mm-hmm. uh, and also in uh, in Nordrhein Westfalen. And mm-hmm. um, so this was, yeah, a concerted attack. This wasn't one guy thinking, I'm going to do this. And so, yeah, it is definitely intentional. And yeah, sabotage has occurred on Deutsche Bahn. Now, of course, there'll be a lot of people that be like, oh, Deutsche Bahn was shit anyway. And blah, 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 blah. Like it comes under a huge amount of criticism here in Germany. Uh, and yeah, things could absolutely be better with Deutsche Bahn. Um, but when it comes to quality of service and cost effectiveness, I think Germans should spend a couple of weeks on British rail uh, services and realise how, how good it is here. Uh, but nonetheless, it being targeted as an act of sabotage, possibly in, in retaliation for what's going on elsewhere, uh, is certainly a pretty problematic realisation for for the government to have to deal with, with Deutsche Bahn to have to deal with, uh, for the general public as well, who are, of course, uh, heavily affected by these kinds of three-hour disruptions across the entire northern network. Yeah. yeah. You were saying, yeah, that there was a cable in Berlin and then um, another one, I think it was in Herner, that was cut. And interestingly, it's that these data cables were, one was the main one and one was the backup. So it certainly looks like it was coordinated. The other point that's being made is, the security experts are sort of warning this could potentially be a test to see what infrastructure will be affected and how infrastructure will be affected by attacks such as these. And it isn't sort of the first time this kind of hybrid, that's what they call hybrid warfare. I'm no expert on it, but it's certainly stuff that we that was being discussed in 2016 when it came to Trump, when it came to Brexit. There was a lot of discussions about meddling in those elections. Various incidents where, again, there's been no confirmation that Russia's involved, but I, I don't imagine it's Belgium that's going around cutting people's uh, cables, you know. Uh, that doesn't seem like the kind of thing the uh, Belgians would be up to. They're too busy eating, <laughs> eating chocolate and drinking really, really strong beer. I'm pleased you're clear in the name of the good people of Belgium. <laughs> yeah, I don't, wanna, I don't want the people of Belgium coming after me. They've got really nice football kits. <laughs> uh, but th- this also connects to something that... that Another story, again, about the concerns about Russian infiltration. And this, interestingly, came out not through any major German news outlet, but actually through the comedian Jan Bermerman, who has a show that is very reminiscent, if not an entire rip-off. I mean, rip-off's unfair, but if not a, a homage, homage. Yeah, yeah. To, uh, to John Stewart. He has a show on a ZDF called ZDF Magazine Royale, where he often spends, and it's it's a bit like John Stewart, it's a bit like John Oliver. Uh, he takes a large section of his show to talk about a very specific topic in a lot of detail. And the topic he chose was cybersecurity. And he pointed out a massive issue that's uh, an ongoing issue in Germany, whereby there's a, a group called the Cybersecurity Council of Germany. And apparently they'd been infiltrated by a company um, that was supposedly a German 
IT company and one that sold a lot of um, security infrastructure to companies, I think as well to the government. And it turns out they're actually a front for a Russian company. Again, pointing out that this is somewhat concerning, more concerning than that. The Cybersecurity Council of Germany was actually set up by a man called Arne Schönbaum, who is the current president of the Federal Office for Information Security. So he's in charge of information security in the whole of the country. He'd set up this, or at least co-founder of Cybersecurity Council Germany. And it turns out this group has been um, infiltrated by this Russian company and they've got massive connections across the country within government, within major firms. And it's just highlighting again some concerning elements of what's been happening or is happening in Germany. It doesn't seem like a week goes by without Germany making themselves look really stupid when it comes to technology, IT, all of these different things. I mean, this is the the ugly coalface of what yes. occurs when you basically refuse to modernize on all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff. I mean, we've complained plenty of times about the fact that there are so many things you can't do digitally here, whether it be get an appointment with your local like Auslands, Immigrations, Amt, like all that mm. kind of stuff should be digitized and it is in the majority of like developed European nations. Paying with your credit card is still a problem here. And like all this is just indicative of a country that's like, oh, but we like things as they are. But not being like up to date on this kind of stuff just opens the door to all sorts of possible, yeah, sabotage, abuse, running amok. And yeah, Germany has to do much, much better protecting itself because this is, as you say, the new frontier when it comes to fucking with a nation, fucking with people. Yeah. You do it digitally. And it's not like hacking is a new thing. Like our entire <laughs> lives, people have been doing this. And now it's just, it's so simple. And Germany has to do better. It can't rely on fax machines to get us through these kinds of security issues. Uh, and yeah, the government always says, oh, we're going to improve these, this, this and this and Datenschutz and data protection and all this kind of stuff. It's all just limiting the ability to be agile. But it's not a word we like talking about because of our years of training business English. Yeah. <laughs> but you need to be agile in this environment. Otherwise, you're just going to get completely fucking mugged off by every other country who's got this technology even if it's like a developing nation there are kids there that can hack the shit out of your systems uh from elsewhere it needs mm -hmm. to be improved urgently um and yeah it's really great that people like Jan Bummerman are talking about it in in a way that is going to get more eyes onto it uh, because yeah he does have thousands and thousands of viewers who may not necessarily be interested in reading about data security and IT mm -hmm. protocols and things like that. But it is also a little worrying that that's one of the main platforms you might find this kind of coverage. Um, because, yeah, newspapers, whether they be local, that don't necessarily feel it's their prerogative to talk about these things, or big ones where, like, oh, we better not show this as a, this failure so openly. It's, it's problematic uh, from back to front, really. So, yeah, we need to do better. I don't know. I think there's a place for, for people like Jan Berman. And like I said, he's like John Stewart. And John Stewart was famous for being more reliable than the news at certain points. John Oliver does something very similar, very informative and entertaining, I think is the key. 
it does seem that we live in a world now where if your information isn't entertaining, no one's listening. You've got to make it sort of flashy and entertaining just to get the point across. I think this is why people like Jonathan Pye are so successful. Mm. He's actually often quite salient, often quite accurate, but in a very entertaining way. And Private Eye is another good example. They've, mm-hmm. they've produced some fantastic journalism. There's some great videos of Ian Hislop holding politicians to account. Um, this is one from a few a few months ago. I think they were in some select committee about mm-hmm. MPs and the gifts that they get given. And they list off all the MPs in the room who've been given gifts. And the MPs start shitting themselves and yeah. start like, like, it's like going, oh, so how come you got uh, Premier League tickets? Um, mm-hmm. and, and and who gave them to you all we have in the record is this like you, you got some Premier League tickets for this company why did you get them and the guy's like oh well actually I gave them away and uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wasn't even there and uh, um, uh, screw you <laughs> <laughs> so that's basically what he does and it's hilarious and I think he can I think people like that can have a real powerful influence over getting news out what you also see with these people is that they turn up and they're prepared yeah to have these discussions with facts and they're not going to accept double talk or or like pretending to not understand what's being talked about and if a politician tries to evade the question they're just going to refuse that uh, being allowed to happen they will just keep nailing them with mm. facts uh, whilst also being super charismatic with it um, and yeah, I say John Stewart and and Ian Hislop are two great mm. examples of people that are not afraid of confrontation and it being really like cut the knife awkward. Um, yeah. And you don't really see that enough. And I haven't seen Jan Bummerman do that because he's like talking like fourth wall to the camera the whole time. He talks so fast after watching like three times. Yeah, it is it is rapid as well. So it's a very good test of one do you know what's happening in the country you're living in and two can you speak the language um (laughs) is not always hyper successful on either front (laughs) he's done some other good shows he did some great stuff about the the richest people in germany and how a lot of their wealth comes from accumulating nazi wealth during Mm -hmm. the second world war he did a great thing about mental health provision with insurance companies uh a few months ago and Going back to John Stewart, again, is another example. He, he did a great thing about the transgender discussion and gender in general. So nuanced and like he delved into the complexities, not afraid of the complexities. And it was really balanced, really intelligently done. And you just don't see that anywhere else. You don't see, you either see some lunatic with a total right-wing view, maybe someone with a very left-wing view. You don't see someone who's willing to address the nuances and the challenges of that discussion head-on. And I think, again, if people like that, Jan Berman or John the John Stewarts or whoever can sort of do that, shed some light on this information, keep people knowledgeable and, and up-to-date, it's never a bad thing, right? No, it's, it's vitally important. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said you try and avoid the news on the weekends and this is a very solid tactic to digest news 24 hours a day, seven days a week is, is poisonous for mental health and well-being. And so getting news in a way that is informative yet light, um, I think is a very important way to start the day. I mean, I start most of my days with, with the late show with Seth Meyer. Like that's the first video I watched in the morning. It's like 15 minutes normally just covers whatever crazy shit has happened in America the day before. And I kind of feel like I'm ready to take on slightly more serious stuff after that. Um, and yeah, the fact that that's how a lot of people are getting their news these days is through like comedy, like lighthearted sideways looks at the news, 
like our podcast, <laughs> maybe we're spreading some information inadvertently. Um, shows that, yeah, it's hard to digest all this shit. Like, there's too much. There's too much bad news everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And I think the it, it does feel a little bit trite or whatever to go, oh, but oh, there's lots of news. And I know there's like lots of people who are in a much worse situation than us, but I think it's something that you really need to protect yourself from because you can just ingest it. That's what I learned from the pandemic is just looking at the news constantly is just going to ruin your brain. What mm. I do like is Süddeutsche Zeitung have started doing this, something that The Guardian's been doing where they do like the headlines that are going to be important for that day mm-hmm. and that's really good for and not just from a language skills but just being aware of what's happening and you just it's just like short paragraph this is what's happening this is what's happening these are the events to look out for and then you can just like get on with your day and then when you hit the news maybe in the evening it doesn't it isn't so bewildering because you're like yeah. right that's the outcome of that thing or yep i knew that was something that was coming up and you don't feel totally overwhelmed by it because as someone who probably reads far too much news and is on social media far too much uh, yeah it's uh it's 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 good to have something that can um give you the information you need without breaking you slightly um at every point well i mean there's a reason my instagram is filled with cat videos and tattoo videos <laughs> like <laughs> yeah maybe it's time we got to some funny things they eh, say yeah <laughs> last ones <laughs> so at the top of the show nick gave me one of my adorable nicknames uh simon lint like chocolate bunnies maddox and here we are we're at, the, we're at the meat of this chocolatey story. Um, yeah. Meat and chocolate? What? <laughs> I'm, I'm dabbling. This is the next cheese and stolen, mate. Um, because one of the beloved German supermarkets, Lidl, is being ordered, ordered uh, to destroy its lint like chocolate bunnies by a Swiss court. And there's one thing Swiss courts are good for it's identifying who is in the right when it comes to chocolate stuff. Um, <laughs> So this is ruling on trademark uh, case, and the German retailer uh, could have to melt down the offending rabbits, uh, which is one of my favourite headlines uh, that you could possibly get, because this is an icon. Uh, So Lint, of course, is one of the largest chocolatiers uh, in Europe, and they produce a foil-wrapped chocolate bunny made of premium chocolates, and this is Lint und Sprungli, uh, yeah, they took Lidl to court in Switzerland, claiming that they had infringed the copyright of this lint chocolate bunny. Uh, so this was in the federal court in Lausanne, and they have told the German retailer to stop selling its version of the rabbit-shaped confectionery and to destroy all its remaining stock. Uh, so if you have a little chocolate bunny. It's up to you. Do you want to destroy it to avoid the long arm of the Swiss law? Or are you going to chuck it on eBay, Kleinanzeigen, and see what you're going to get for it? Is it all the chocolate bunnies, or is it just the ones in Switzerland? Uh, I think it's all of them. Uh, Bloody I, I hell. Yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of really interesting things about this, because it's not just like the the bunny shape or anything. It's the, the gold-coloured foil is included mm-hmm. in part of the trademark, which I... It blows my mind that you can get IP protection on the colour of foil. Uh, And, of course, the other thing that identifies them is a little red ribbon with a small bell. Uh, And, of course, the rabbit's in the squatting posture. And -hmm. you can get them in, like, size from, like, 7 centimetres. I think the the standard one's probably about 10 centimetres tall. Mm. And then you can go all the way up to, like, 30 centimetre ridiculous things. Just novelties uh, for shop windows. 
But yeah, it's one of the the Swiss brand's best-selling products, primarily around Easter, because of course you collect eggs from a rabbit at Easter to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus says, I don't know what, I've forgotten the significance there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, rabbits are important apparently. And so, yeah, they had to prove, and they did this through a survey, that the gold bunny was well known to the public. And of course it is. And so the little rabbit was deemed to be too similar uh, in appearance to the lint one and even, quote, likely to be confused, uh, even though there were some differences between them. Uh, and that means that, yeah, they have to be destroyed because, quotes from the court, the destruction is proportionate, especially as it does not necessarily mean that chocolate as such would have to be destroyed. Um, so, yeah, if you can, if you see some cheap little chocolate, maybe it was already in the form of a rabbit in its former <laughs> it life. Just melted it down. Yeah, some some ribbons and <laughs> things inside it. Well, I think there was already a courtroom battle. I think it went up to the, like, the European Supreme Court or whatever it's called. Like, there was an issue between uh, an Austrian version of a similar chocolate bunny and they were told that it's to do with the it's the gold paper the german mm-hmm. a german federal court had a similar decision in 2021 i mean i'm looking at the image of these two chocolate bunnies and i'll be honest if you go to little and you bought that you know you're not buying the product that like that's their kind of mo isn't yeah. it they make products that kind of look like brand names but aren't and at half the price and given the fact that that's one of the reasons why i like Lidl is you can get a lot of really nice stuff but it isn't super expensive but in this instance the rabbit i mean it even has a little like bell around its neck (laughs) and you're like come on you're really taking the piss a bit but it does feel a little bit like come on man like the people who shop in Lidl aren't idiots they know they're not buying a lint bunny like it's no one's confusing it you're absolutely right. In, in the context of buying these in the supermarket, you're not going to get confused. And if you go to another shop like a, a, a Galleria, like mm. a, a shopping centre, they're not going to have the little one. Like they're only going to have the Lintz one available because Lidl is only selling its own products in-house. And so this this chance of confusion, as you say, is, is pretty low. And I mean, yeah, they are both similar sizes. They're both gold. They are rabbits. But in terms of the design of the labelling, there are a lot of differences. Like the limp one doesn't even have a pupil, a freaky-eyed little <laughs> rabbit. Like does it have a pupil? Yeah. The little one looks a lot more rabbit-like. Why aren't you the working in that law- as a lawyer for Lidl? You could have been. You could have won this case. I mean, imagine how much money they're paying for this stuff as well, and the <laughs> fact that it's gone to all these different. Like it's been Swiss court, European Court of Justice, German mm. court, Viennese courts. Like there are lawyers all over Europe getting paid in rabbits <laughs> <laughs> just making out like bandits the thing i was thinking is it's something that i've been noticing as with a lot of companies is these companies like lint was the first time i was aware of lint it was presented as this very luxurious brand in the uk and the the lint bunny was a luxury product whereas Lidl are producing a product that's not necessarily a luxury probably selling at half the price and people can get to enjoy that who can't necessarily afford four or five quid for a lint bunny and that's a good thing and it also surely makes the lint bunny look more like a luxury but i think actually these luxury companies are now just trying to sell as much product to anyone that can and they change from being a luxury company into like we'll just sell any old shit to anybody just make as much profit as possible please give us your money give us your money uh whereas i uh, 20 years ago it was 
oh, we only want money from certain people. You know, we only we only want certain people buying this product just by the the cost of it. And it's something that I've seen with a lot of other products where they've just changed their entire business model and it doesn't feel fair. Mm. Like, this is a bit of a stretch, I know, but I had to buy an electric sander and I went into my local Baumark to buy one and it was very reasonably priced, 57 euros. And I was like, oh, that's quite good. It's a Bosch sander for 57 euros. So that's great. Why was it 57 euros? Because they don't sell batteries with okay. it. The battery is also 57 euros. And if you looked at the own brand versions, they came with the battery and they came with the product and they were a bit cheaper. But it's the Bosch label that everyone's looking for, right? Everyone wants the Bosch. They don't want the, what's it, the Grundig... <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> angle sander or whatever the circular sander i don't think it's grundig but i know what yeah you i don't know what they're called it's like some ridiculous name that you've never heard of um and i ended up buying the bosch one but only because i've got a, another bosch tool that has the same battery with it and i could use it but i just thought i remember when you used to buy tools and they came with all the pieces like I would have bought the cheaper one if I was in dire straits and at least I would have got everything. I knew those two products were not the same thing, but I knew what the Bosch one was were probably going to be harder wearing than the, the own brand one in the same way that you know that the little bunny's probably not going to taste as good or the chocolate will taste slightly different than lint. Like we're not fools as consumers. I don't know why we need to have these kinds of protections. But these aren't to protect the consumer at all. This is to protect these billionaire owners of yeah. these Zurich-based chocolatiers. Yeah, you've got to keep those chocolatiers well-funded, right? Well, I mean, I'm sure they're owned by an investment firm at this point in their history. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like nonsense, but here we are. I'm desperately looking for a joke about hedge funds and rabbits, and I can't get it to me because it's not coming. If you think of one in a minute, Simon will edit it in later. <gasps> oh. But yeah, it's a um, it's a daft story. But um, I guess go out and get your little bunnies because they do have the right of appeal. So they will be on sale for a bit longer, I imagine. So fill your boots now while you still can. Get down to your local little collector's items. Collectors, collectors items. items. Yeah, you could be selling them on eBay for quadruple the price um, <laughs> in, a couple, in a couple of weeks' time. One of the best things as well on this, whilst we have this topic, cause it's not really that meaty normally. Of course, you also get the... I forget which company it is. They do ones that are like standing rabbits. And every now and again, you'll rip the foil off and it's Santa Claus underneath. Uh, it's just been <laughs> yeah. like, it's got a different foil on it. Um, so yeah, best give it to the kids so they just eat it quickly and don't process if they're eating Santa or an Easter bunny that's just been refoiled for the season. Do you always know the difference between like the Lidl Santa Clauses, the milk of Santa Clauses and the Lidl or the Raver santa clauses because if you take the milker wrapper off it looks like santa claus underneath it's got a santa claus mold if you unwrap the little one it's just like a smooth surface a phallic nightmare <laughs> yeah, it's just like it doesn't look like santa claus you're like well that's what i expected i didn't expect it to be of high quality and but it eats just the same so i mean yeah let the consumer choose that's what i say yeah so moving on from uh, little golden bunnies, anyone who's been shopping or everyone who shops in supermarkets, like you all do, uh, will have noticed that prices have been creeping up ever so surely throughout the last two years, really. Uh, and here we get uh, notification that that's going to continue to happen uh, and some pretty scary numbers coming out. 
Uh, so supermarkets and the discounters, the prices are going to go up. And of course, this means digging deeper into your pockets. Um, and yeah, we've all noticed how much it has changed. Um, I never used to have triple digit bills at Aldi. And now mm. it's pretty normal to give over 100 euros for a week shopping uh, for just me and the wife and the cats. And so here we have a couple of interesting examples showing how large these increases are. So one of the largest sectors, not directly a supermarket or a discounter, is drogerie uh, articles. Uh, so like pharmaceutical type things, which have seen a huge increase, 92% increase in, in pharmaceutical products. That is really, really a terrifying increase. Um, flowers, plants, toys, bikes, um, paper goods are all significantly more expensive than they were. Um, bikes is really is an interesting example because of course a lot of people want to be healthier uh, it's a way to avoid doing public transport um, but trying to find a bike at the moment on its own can be challenging and then the price for them is really it's really expensive these days and especially if you're part of the e-bike crowd which definitely is anyone over 50 with a gilet in Germany seems to be riding e-bikes now um, yeah it's thousands of euros to get on your e-bike um, back to Lebensmittel, back to groceries. So yeah, about 50% increase is being warned about for certain product types. So uh, sugar, normal granulated sugar, Puderzucker, uh, powdered sugar, Würfelzucker, uh, sugar cubes, um, Butterkekse, um, butter biscuits. Are we going to call it a butter, butter cookie for butter cakes? Yeah, I guess so, yeah, butter biscuits, I suppose, is what they would be. They're kind of like a rich tea, aren't they? It's, it's kind of like a rich tea. And not as disappointing as a rich tea, I'd say. <laughs> not okay, so. the most disappointing biscuit. <laughs> yeah. uh, honey uh, and mm. ketchup uh, are all being increased from the 4th of October. So you might have already seen those increases if you are buying any of those products. I mean, of course, some of those are really cheap. Like zucker, sugar... If it's a 20% increase, it's still a relatively affordable commodity. Uh, but things like honey, I mean, honey is already very expensive uh, in a lot of German supermarkets, and that does have a large knock-on effect. Uh, so we have an example, a kilogram of sugar. Uh, the cheap variant now costs €1.29 for a kilo of sugar. That's a 65% increase the week before we were recording, uh, Aldi Nord, Aldi Sud, Penny, Lidl, and Netto, you were able to get that same kilo of sugar for 79 cents. So yeah, it's as good as time as any to stop taking sugar in your tea or coffee. Um, every little helps, I guess. Nick, you, you cut out sugar in your in your drinks? Well, you know, my, my feelings about sugar, uh, trying to avoid it as best mm -hmm. as possible, except for Saturday evenings. That seems to oh. be my sugar infusion. I went shopping on Saturday and I noticed like really... Funny things that, that, that caught me out. I just noticed there was a lot less deals on. Mm -hmm. uh, I got some shower gel, and the one that I usually buy is that, like, Dove. I think it's Dove mm -hmm. for men or something like that. And yeah. uh, the one that I usually avoid buying is it's like a L'Oreal kind of trendy carb. It's Carbon Man shower gel. Oh, yeah, or yeah, yeah I know like the one that. you mean. Yeah, yeah. It was cheaper than the Dove one. 
and so I bought that. I was surprised because it's always more expensive, and I, th- I think it was the difference was something like it was like two seventy nine versus two forty nine for the L'Oreal one, and that was a surprise. And just little things like that. And I was trying to be careful, but I kept, I did. I was looking at the prices more than I usually do. Usually, I didn't really think too much about the prices. We will have like a budget. We're quite careful with budgeting when it comes to shopping, uh, especially because we have to buy things like nappies and and then we will have to buy cotton buds for a particular sort of type of cotton bud for my daughter's ears and i have to buy all these like little like creams and salves and loads of other stuff so it all adds up and the thing is we talked about this when it comes to shopping given the fact that because shops are often franchised and the products in them vary Mm -hmm. so drastically from each other i was sort of surprised like i wanted to get uh, nurnberger sausages Mm -hmm. and usually there's there's like the BO option and then there's like another option and there's probably a couple of options. There was only one option. It was the BO option. And the BO oh, option really? was okay. for eight sausages. They're known burger sausages as well. So they're, they're small. Yeah. Like there's like little chipolatas if you don't know what a known burger sausage is like. That was three seventy nine for eight. Ooh. And I was just like, ah, that's a lot like to be asking or when there's no other alternative. Things like I usually get Pfeffer Bicer. I usually get four pairs for the week for my um, pack lunch for work. <laughs> and I think for four, a couple of months ago, it was like eight or nine euros. And it was 11 something yeah. this time around. So the things are like jumping slightly. We're okay because again, we're quite careful with how we manage our finances. And I don't have big expenditure because turns out having a small child means you don't really go out much. <laughs> so it's not like we spend a lot of money, but our biggest expenditure is the shopping. And it's certainly looking like we're probably going to switch to shopping in uh, Lidl more than we'd be shopping in in River or Erika because mm-hmm. you just seem to get more value for money. And apparently also um, some lint chocolate bunnies. I mean, they're not, lint, <laughs> not lint chocolate bunnies. They're lint like lint like. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned River and Erika there, and of course both of these companies have like an in-house cheap brand. Uh, so River has their their wonderful yeah brand, and Erika has good and gunstig. Um, which are both very pleasing. Uh, I'm a big fan of everything. Yeah. But even these product lines are being hit hard by increases. So there's one example with ketchup, which I already spoke about. The Yar and the Good and Gunstig from Raver and Edico, their ketchups has gone up by 70%. Um, so much. I mean, ketchup is, obviously, it's not something that we all need. But if you have like a young family, there's a good chance ketchup's going to be part of most evening Definitely. meals. It's an essential for a lot of young kids to have ketchup at home. Uh, in their in their opinions, of course, it's not a dietary requirement. But yeah, when it comes to young families, there are some big prices here. Uh, so apple juice, twenty five percent increase. That's a massive one. Really, really expensive. We now. drink so much uh, honey. As I said, thirty percent increase there. Uh, so yeah, for low income families, like these increases are huge. Also, I mean, I had a period where when I first started eating more plant-based, I was like, that's actually saving me money as well because mm-hmm. meat was so expensive and vegan and uh, vegetarian options were noticeably cheaper. But now we're also seeing uh, some increases in that sector as well. Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, half a milk, oat milk, Alpro is one of the big brands that does that. Um, that's gone up to three euros instead of Wild 279. Um, so it doesn't matter what your dietary desires are you are going to be hit by these kinds of prices 
The next paragraph in the story I think is absolutely fascinating though. Uh, I'm not sure if we'll have it in the show notes. But they give an example uh, from a, an editor in München, uh, so in mm. Munich, where they talk about the price of goose. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was like, who, how often do you buy goose? Like, I well, goose never, according to these prices now. <laughs> Fucking hell. Uh, so a kilo of goose was eight ninety nine, dollars uh, and now it's gone up to twenty two seventy nine. Uh, so if you have any friends who are doing goose this Christmas, they're just fucking showing off. So yeah, I thought it was a really interesting option to highlight the rising cost of geese in Munich Edekas. There's a goose farmer on the corner from us, so I might just steal in it one night and just nick one <laughs> and see, get it ready for Christmas. I mean, if it, it, I don't know how much a goose weighs, but it's got to be two kilos of goose meat on a goose. I don't want to steal a goose. They're fucking Rajis, man. Um, yeah. But the thing that I noticed, I don't know if you've seen this as well, right? They talk about like some products just not being available. Yeah. And I, I wanted to buy croquetting, I think it was. Like okay. my daughter loves those things. And usually you get like a Raver, like the Yar brand or there's something like, like a, it's not a Yar brand. It's something close to that, but it's like an own brand. And the freezer section, one side was just all frozen pizzas. The other section was something like 95% of it was ice cream. And then the tiny section were were like frozen chips and frozen waffly type things and and lots of uh, McCain's kind of product. And I said, it's really weird that you only have like a tiny section dedicated to something that a couple of months ago, half of it was frozen potato products. Uh, and now, like, it doesn't even make up anything like that amount. So there is, like, the filling shelves, but the filling shelves were stuff that I don't eat ice cream that much. I certainly don't need that larger selection. So it does feel like this company's compensating by not ordering certain things and trying to sell off as much of the stuff that they've they've maybe oversold or over. Well, um, I mean, these, these supermarket branches are facing certain brands trying to renegotiate prices with them. And they're basically just refusing to pay the new price. So I had it with with pet food the other day. My cats now eat whiskers, and there was not a single whiskers product in the cat food section. And that is 50% of most supermarket cat food sections is whiskers. And so, yeah, they're just not renegotiating for these new prices. And so, yeah, it does mean that empty shelves are a thing here. And, of course, this is something we've covered before in the UK where empty shelves has, has been problematic through different periods of Brexit and, and Corona. But we're seeing it here now really f- for the first time in a long time where the supply chain is being disrupted, not because of an inability to necessarily get these products, but because these shops aren't willing to pay the high prices they're being asked mm-hmm. and then pass them on to the customers. And of course, yeah, this passing on of prices, uh, of energy costs, um, even things like dung uh, fertilizers for farmers have gone up dramatically and those have to be passed on to to the end consumer it was funny i was i was in austria a few weeks ago and and it was a tiny village and i had one edica and it had everything had everything and like stuff that, that i can't like one of the things i, I, I really loved was chi- the chili flavored tortilla chips that you get in Reva or edica and uh, they just stopped selling them here mm-hmm. and all all of them like i've been to three or four different places and they just stopped selling them and it's like oh right is that i because they're not selling because it never seemed to be a problem before or is there some kind of supply issue there mm. i don't know 
I mean, it could just be coincidence, but it felt like if you've got one supermarket in a tiny village, it can afford to buy as much as it wants because it's the focal point for yeah. the entire for an entire area. But when you've got, I've got three or four supermarkets in in or around us. And like you said, I haven't seen gaps in the shelves because they're just filling the shelves with loads yeah. of other stuff or like filling it out with like more products from one type of area than the other. So you're not seeing gaps yet, but I mean, it's only a matter of time, surely. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see a lot more shelves filled with like Christmas goodies where they wouldn't mm. normally be. Just like, oh, we've got to fill this, this cavity uh, in yeah. our toothpaste aisle. <laughs> Christmas toothpaste. Lebkuchen yeah. Geschmack. <laughs> Servus zusammen. Hallöchen. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to resell all our Lidl chocolate bunnies on eBay. They're not lint, we promise. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? It only takes a minute and really helps us out. We are also hungry for not just lint-like chocolate bunnies, but also for Spotify stars. So chuck some of them delicious stars our way. Nom, 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 nom. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash decades from home and contributing to get us more of these lovely golden bunnies speaking of the stars as 29 people so far have given us five star reviews you are all legends in our Ooh. book let's see if we can top 30 this weekend come on we believe in you <laughs> as ever if you have any questions feedback or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover you can tweet simon on at decades from home and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on decadesfromhome at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%german.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss. Ciao.